Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. A couple years ago, I was asked down to a, a multiply event. They they were doing an event, and um, they asked me to speak on calling. And I, I for, they gave me a pretty big time slot. I forget how how long it was. I just remember that I was going to need a lot of material. Um, but went down, and they had a whole bunch of people who were kind of pondering or thinking about long term missions. Um, Kyle and Danae Schmidt were were there. They were they were part of that, and. Um, so, so spoke on calling, and it's kind of neat, because as a speaker, or as a Christian speaker, you go to events, and sometimes you can just really tell, like, that, that the Holy Spirit is working and moving, right? And so, it's like, I don't know if they just prayed into this a whole lot, or this is just God's sovereignty, or whatnot, but just in the way that the audience responds, and the way that the words are, are coming, like, you can just, you can just feel a strong sense of, of the Holy Spirit moving, and, and that was one of those events, it was really neat. Um, going into it, you know, just kind of uh, researching and understanding call and calling and, and what is that. And because uh, we tend to have kind of a, a simplistic understanding of it. Um, Oz Guinness wrote a book called The Call, uh, which was incredibly helpful where he kind of broke down on it. And, you know, because you can, like all of humanity has a call to love God and follow Jesus and, and serve him. Right? Like, that is a legitimate call on all of humanity. Um, and then it, you know, and then it kind of can get more and more specific, right? Like, as Christians, there is a call for all of us to, to be disciples, who, who make disciples, and, and, and to grow in our love of the Lord and, and fruit of the Spirit, right? Like, that's for all of us. And then in Scripture, we can see it, it you know, it'll sometimes drill down to more specific. And so there's a call for husbands to, to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And there's a call for wives and a call for kids and, and a call for pastors and, you know, and all these different things. And then some people, some people will have a very dramatic call into ministry. And so, uh, for instance, Paul was one of those. He was, he's on this road to Damascus, and he sees this bright light and these voices and all this other kind of stuff. And it's kind of interesting because we tend to talk about or glamorize those call moments a lot, um, even just amongst ourselves or other people in ministry, like we talk about the very glamorous um, calling that, that, that some people have received. But it's interesting because as I reflected on it and, and read about it and researched it, the very dramatic callings tend to be one of two things. Either the, the road ahead is going to be hard, and so they need something very dramatic so that in the future they can look back on that and it gives them the confidence to say, yes, this is the, the road that, that God called us on, right? Like they, they need something to dramatic because it just offers confidence in the future. However, more often than not, it's just because they're being kind of stubborn about it and God has to be dramatic to get their attention because they're not paying attention. And so, actually, the dramatic calls aren't always a sign of holiness. It's more a sign of, like, you were a bit of an idiot, and you should have been paying attention. Um, for, exist- for example, Paul, based on clues in Scripture, Paul had probably likely engaged in multiple theological, philosophical debates on Jesus. Paul had probably heard 
all the arguments on why Jesus was the Son of God, and it wasn't clicking for him, and he wasn't submitting to that. And so God had to get dramatic. And in the, in, even in the calling of the twelve, you will see that some of them were very dramatic, like what we're going to look at here today, and some of them, Jesus just goes, hey, come follow me, and they're like, okay, sounds like a good idea. And they do, right? Today we're looking at Peter. Luke records the calling of Peter. Um, it is dramatic, um, and whether, yeah, so Peter has this dramatic calling. Uh, I am in Luke. I'm in chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Let me read to you, this to you, and then we'll kind of break it down and, and work through it. First um, Peter 5, or uh, Luke 5. Uh, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, uh, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or uh, Lake of Galilee, uh, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the lake, and he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon and Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who, who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay, starting at the very beginning. Uh, so the opening line on this, right? On one occasion, the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of Lord. So we talked last week about how when Jesus spoke, he spoke as one who had authority. Um, last week we saw in Luke how examples are given, how Jesus had authority not, over the demon, not only over the demonic, he also had authority over illness because he, he you know, cast out the demonic and, and healed the, the illness. Uh, so Jesus had authority over that. Um, but it, it just... It, just wanted to highlight that, to just reinforce that the Word of God has authority. Now, that said, a good teacher helps. <laughs> um, there was a, a pastor in South Dakota. He had a podcast. I used to listen to him. And he was pretty harsh on pastors who could somehow make the gospel boring. And he would say, if you're a pastor and you make the gospel boring, like, God love you, but you should not be a pastor. Like, find another job. Um, and was, was pretty hard, was, just came down pretty hard. Uh, and there's some truth in that, right? So, and, I mean, we, you know, we, we affirm preaching scripture. Like, I mean, that's, that's our thing. We, we love doing that. Um, the word of God has power, but it, it, a good teacher certainly helps. Um, carrying on then on that, still kind of in verse 1, he's standing in, in the lake of uh, Gennesaret. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them. They were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to go out a little from the land. He sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. So the fishermen had probably likely, you know, 
gotten up very early before dawn, you know, while it was still dark. They go out. They try to catch fish. They catch nothing. Uh, They come back in. Nets had to be washed and dried. Otherwise, they would rot. So they're kind of cleaning everything up, putting everything away for the day. You know, they're, they're, they're calling it a day. Four disciples are either named or referenced in this story. We have Simon Peter, he, uh, he has a brother, Andrew, and then we have James and John. Those are two brothers. So we've got these two sets of brothers in the same business, right? These are, are small business owners kind of going about their life. Um, and people are, are pressing in. They, they, they want to hear Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say. Uh, so he gets into the boat and preaches from the boat. Several times I, I have read that acoustically, this makes a lot of sense, right? Like the sound travels well over water. He be, he's able to kind of back away. The sound travels over the water like it's because he doesn't have a PA system, you know. And so um, just acoustically, this works really well. So this is just Jesus being really practical. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon Peter or Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night, we took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. They have just listened all morning to the teachings of Jesus, right? We know that the teachings of Jesus are powerful. We saw that. He is one who speaks with authority. We know that the word of God is powerful. We see that, that time and time again. They, they, they sat through all these teachings... And, and I don't want you to miss this, right? So all morning long, they listened to Jesus himself preach the gospel. Which I'm sure is just powerful beyond belief. But even with that, they had not yet committed to change. Even after sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to Jesus himself preach the gospel all morning long, they still had not committed to change. Then Jesus says, hey, let's go back out and try to catch fish. And I find this fascinating because when it came to fishing, like Peter was the expert. Like this was his deal. This was his business. Like he knew this, right? Like he's expert on fishing and it didn't work. And he, know that this, he knows that this isn't going to work. And so based on Peter's response, like this is probably a really, really dumb idea. But he relents and, and, he, and he does it. And you guys know the story, right? They go out, they catch all these fish. Nets are breaking, boats are sinking, like it's just, it, it's absolutely amazing. And it is at that point that Peter reacts. And it is at that point where, where, where we read, He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. They have been listening to Jesus teach all morning long. Jesus has probably been in his boat for a few hours. But now, after the fish, Peter says, depart from me, I am a sinner. It wasn't until that, when, when, when Peter says all this. I think that, that this story puts us actually in kind of an uncomfortable position. And let me explain that for a couple reasons. 
I'm a big fan of preaching through the Bible. That's what we do. Exegetical. We take a passage, we take a book, we just kind of walk through it beginning to end, right? At Living Hope, we love to, 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 to preach through Scripture. It's a well-balanced diet. It forces you to deal with things that you love and forces you to deal with things you would rather avoid because, like, even last week we had to talk about the demonic. But, you know, like, it just, it just forces you to cover that. It's a well-balanced idea. But I can't escape the fact that even for Peter, it wasn't the teaching that finally convinced him. It was the miracle. It was the experience, right? It it, it was experiencing something miraculous, experiencing something profound. It wasn't until he experienced it that Peter realized that he was dealing with Jesus as God. It was after the fish, Peter hits his knees and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And it wasn't until he experienced it that Peter really committed to changing his life. Even in my own life, right? Like if I were to get into the nitty-gritty details of my spiritual journey, oftentimes it has been the experiences that changed me and the places where where change and commitment happened. Now again, I reiterate, the teaching that I have received in my life were necessary for those experiences, right? The teaching, the learning that, that were laid in my life were absolutely critical foundations But to see and to experience the miracles and the voice of God and to say, like, wow, this is real. This is powerful. Even in the history of the Mennonite Brethren Church, right, to become a church member, you had to come up and you had to give a testimony because the rest of the church wanted affirmation that that you had changed, that you had experienced the grace of God, that, that, you, that, you had, that you were committed to this, that you were changed. I mean, even in our own heritage, around church membership, we want to hear the testimony because we want to make sure, you know, of your change and your commitment and that you've experienced the grace of God. Israelites, in the Old Testament, what's the story that they keep talking about over and over and over again? Red Sea. Red Sea. Crossing of the Red Sea. I mean, it even crops up in the New Testament. Red Sea crossing of the Red Sea, where they experienced something powerful. And the reason why all of this bothers me a lot and why I fret about this is because we don't really um, incorporate, schedule, um, experiential components in our gatherings. We do a little bit, I I think you could say, in, in, in the musical worship. Um, but we're not, like, we don't do a lot of, like, you know, praying for people on the sides and, and, and altar calls and just creating intentional space where we're asking for miracles, where we're inviting a movement from the Holy Spirit, where we're calling to something big. Like, I teach you scripture, which is important, but, it's, but I recognize that it's not the same, though, as experiencing those moments. Now, we've kind of dabbled with it. Um, in the past, we've done communion, where you come forward and we pray for you. We haven't done that in a long time, but we've done that. Um, we're planning a summer worship night this summer. That has the, the possibility to, uh, to put some, you know, to, yeah, to try to in- incorporate that, but they're just, they're not routine events. Um, I would say that camp, like Christian camps um, and missions trips, tend to provide a lot more on the experience side of things, experiencing miracles and the power of Jesus, which is 
one of the many reasons why we need to continue to invest in that. Um, camps, Christian camps, missions trips, like just as, as much as we can. Um, and I would say next week in your small groups, go after that question, how do we better incorporate this into, uh, for us as a church, in the Living Hope Church? But here's the second thing about this that is, I don't know if, if you would say it troubles me, but it's just something I've read about. Um, as much as we don't intentionally create space to do this, this also is not something you can fabricate, right? Like I can't put on the schedule from 9.30 to 9.45, experience God in a powerful way and have people cry. Like we, I can't do that, right? Like it, it's not something you can force. It's not something you can put on the calendar. At best, we can make ourselves available to it and open ourselves up to it. But ultimately, like this is God who decides the when and the where and the how right? The miraculous haul of fish was not Peter's idea. That was Jesus's idea, right? Jesus initiated that miracle in his time, in his way, not Peter. One of the things that I do love about this story is that this, for, for this miracle, this is one that Peter understood better than anyone, right? If this had happened to me, I think part of it would have been lost on me because I would have, you know, I've been like, oh, this is neat. Does this happen often? Like, is this, did we just get lucky? You know, but for Peter, because he is the expert on fish, he realizes that, that this is nothing short of a miracle. This doesn't happen. This doesn't occasionally happen. This doesn't happen if you're lucky. No one has this story like, like this is a miracle. And, and that because of that, that Jesus was nothing short of God, right? Because Peter was the expert, this impacted Peter in just a really profound way. It communicated something to Peter that nothing else could. We had um, a guy at Multiply who uh, came in to just kind of help resource in the area of evangelism. Uh, it was kind of neat. Like, I mean, he was very passionate about evangelism. One of the things that, that I, I found fascinating, you know, like some people just kind of have a flair and an ease when it comes to evangelism and they're super gifted and whatnot and, and that kind of thing. And, it, and I, I think you would be okay with me saying this. It's not that he had like this flair or this gift or an ease about it. It's just that he was so passionate about it that he just determined to get good at it and he got good at it. Right? It's kind of like, you know, in some sports, you know, you have people that are just, it just comes really natural. And then some people, by just sheer grit and determination and hours of practicing, like they just get good. That was this guy in evangelism. Like, he was like, this is important. And so he just practiced until he got good. Um, and had literally knocked on thousands of doors um, in, in all of this. But it, anyway, so, but he was once saying how they will sometimes do... Um, uh, uh, like, like evangelistic uh, crusades and areas or, or campaigns. And what they would see is that sometimes that God would do miracles as confirmation of the verbal message that had just been proclaimed, right? So they're telling people about Jesus. Some people are, are, are coming to know Jesus. And then after that, God does miracles as a way to say, yes, what you just heard spoken was from me as God, and, and I'm going to prove it by doing some, some miracles in, in your midst. And maybe we just need to do more evangelism. There's that too. Uh, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. As Peter becomes aware of Jesus' greatness, he becomes aware of his own sinfulness, his own kind of weak humanity. Like he, he realized that he was fragile, that, that he was sinful. Being around something great, like you tend, like you just, it makes us aware of how much we fall short, right? And the, the, the Spirit of God you know, when you encounter that in a powerful way, like you don't walk away with some kind of overinflated ego. Like you, you, you walk away with this sense of awe and gratitude. You, you walk away with this sense that, that you are loved, but at the same time, it is just coupled with this awareness of that God is big and I am not. And as that awareness grows, our gratitude tends to grow. Um, and, so G, and so Peter just has this, this gratitude. A couple of just other kind of quick observations. Um, they did not get distracted by the money or the volume of fish. They were able to keep their eyes on the big picture, right? Like they did not turn around and be like, let's sell it all. You know, like this is great. Like they didn't focus on, they got back to shore and then they left it, right? This was the biggest financial day they had ever seen for their business, but they were no longer satisfied with that. They wanted something bigger. It used to be that a lot of fish was great, but now it wasn't enough. They wanted more. They wanted impact in the kingdom. They wanted more exposure, more time with Jesus. And so even though this was the best business day of their life, they realized this isn't enough, and they walked away from it all. Um. One of the temptations after a story like this is to go out and to ask, for, ask God for a big miracle where we set the parameters, right? And we will say, we'll tell you what, Lord, if you show me a big miracle, then I will, you know, be good, follow you, stop drinking, like whatever, right? Like we approach it where we're like, where, where, where we set the parameters, doesn't work like that. I'm not aware of any story in Scripture where it works like that, where some human comes up and says, okay, I need a big miracle, and if you will do this, then we will do this, and that kind of thing. Jesus did his miracle in his time in, in his way. One of, Jesus did a lot of miracles. Um, a couple times he fed thousands of people miraculously. Uh, at one time he feeds 5,000 in, in Jewish territory. Another time he, fought, he feeds 4,000 in, in Gentile territory. Um, John 6 records the, the, the story where after he, he feeds the 5,000, the people actually follow him to the second location, and, and, and they, they meet him at the second location, and Jesus basically says, look, you're here because I fed you a meal last time, and I'm not going to do it again. And then there's this whole long discussion on bread and bread of life and manna and Jesus is the bread and all this other kind of stuff, right? We can ask for miracles. Absolutely. We probably don't do it enough. Uh, we should probably ask for more. But just a warning that we don't get to set up a transaction where if you, then I. Okay? Ask for miracles, but, but we don't get to set up that transaction. Um... Verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Uh, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. 
From now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What are the qualifications to be a disciple? Um, When I work with Trek, I would jokingly, but like not jokingly, tell people, like, look, you just got to be mobile and love Jesus. Like, those were the the two requirements. We didn't have an age requirement. Um, So if you were mobile and you love Jesus, like, you were a valid applicant, right? I I think that perhaps there was an era where, you know, the expectation was, was like, well, I'm going to go to Bible college, and then I'm going to go to seminary, and then I'm going to go right into full-time ministry, and that does have merit. Um, I know that um, during my time at Multiply, and, and even as we watch today, more and, poor, more and more we saw people who are actually really well-established in another career leave that career to then do, um, you know, full-time ministry or missions or that kind of thing. And some of them then do it until they die, and some of them do it for five years, ten years, twenty years, and then they go back to whatever, their, their other career. Like, it just happens. But more and more, I mean, we saw people who were airline pilots and doctors and bankers, uh, some pastors, um, stay-at-home moms, nurses, right, or or people who had done, you know, language training, like that kind of thing. And actually, um, in closed countries, you know, there was a book called God Smuggler where he talked about sneaking Bibles into closed countries. Now that's not really the, the strategy for closed countries. Now the strategy for closed countries is, look, I'm a Christian, I know it, and you know it, but I have this skill set, I have this profession, and you want it so desperately that you will intentionally turn a blind eye to me being in your country. And so it's like, yep, I'm a Christian, but because I am so good at business or medicine or whatever, you're going to give me the visa because you just, you're so desperate for that profession in your country. And that's how people are now getting into, into like restricted access countries. All the disciples started with other careers. Tax collectors, fishermen, whatever. All of them had some other career. Um, to be a good disciple, like you just got to love Jesus and follow him and let him transform you. Last thought on all this. And that is just what, what if they had not submitted to that odd, weird request to go out into deeper waters? Like, like, if we were to focus on that moment right there. They sat at, at Jesus' teaching all morning long, and then Jesus says, let's head out to, to deeper water. Like, what if they, had, if they had not obeyed, and they had just been like, you know, I'm going to pass. I'm tired. I'm going to go home. No, thank you. Like, what would Peter and Andrew and James and John, like, what would they have missed out on? Especially given, right, that they're the experts. But Peter followed Jesus rather than his professional expertise. And because of that, his life was forever changed, right? And so the question is just like, will will you follow God's call when it's silly? When it doesn't make sense? When you're tired? When you would rather go home? And when you're the expert... And you know that this is a dumb idea, but Jesus says, hey, let's try this thing. Like on the best business day of your life, will you leave everything and follow Jesus should he ask it? Amen. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the power of your scripture. And um, Lord, we want to be faithful in teaching and understanding and learning your word. But at the same time, Lord, we realize that there are places where um, we just need your Holy Spirit to move and, and to do a miracle and do something profound. And Lord, we recognize that we can't fabricate or schedule that. But Lord, we do say that we want to be open to it, uh, that we want to be receptive to it. And Lord, if necessary, we want to be more intentional about um, just creating space where we ask for it and where we are, are vulnerable to it. Lord, we continue to pray for the situation in Ukraine that you would bring peace to that region of the world. And Lord, even as uh, refugees flee to all other parts of the world, Lord, that, um, Lord, we just want to say, here we are, send us. If there's a place, if there's a role for us, Lord, um, then we want in on that. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.